Welcome to an incomplete guide to world domination, a podcast by creators for creators, because together we can take over the world. I'm your host, Brianna Toiber. This week we have part two of our interview with Kelsey Kaufman. You mentioned going to the game dev drink up last time we were talking. Okay, where were we? So I've been laid off for about two months now by Endless Entertainment. And during that time, I was streaming a lot, and I was trying to go to meetups. I was still involved with Ba Game, which is SF Bay Area Women in Games. But I still don't have a job, and I've been applying. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I see, like, another game dev drink-up meetup that's run by Warren Price. He works at Ubisoft. And I'm like, okay, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I want to go, but dang it, I'm going to go, no matter what. I just want to go see where it is. So we head to San Francisco at a place called the Emporium. And for those that have never been to the Emporium, the Emporium is a bar arcade. And it's not a dive bar. It <laughs> so sounds awesome. It's about, I'm going to say, two to three stories, just because how the layout's set up, it looks like it's three stories. You have, when you walk in, you know, it looks like a, it's just some really uh, neon lights a little bit. There's some really cool... Gr- graphic art on the walls and then you go past some of these hallways and boom you have this huge floor of arcades that you've seen in the 80s and 90s like you have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you have the Simpsons game you have little basketball games there are arcade games I never heard of which is pretty fun for those that love playing arcade games and then you also have on the walls like huge like almost movie size uh, screens of them playing sports or music and people are just having a blast it is only 21 and over, so unfortunately, those that aren't 21, they can't go in the Emporium because you have to like buy alcohol and stuff, but you're allowed to bring food. So I asked about, hey, I want to go to this game dev drink-up meeting. Do you know where it is? I asked someone, and they said, oh, I believe that's upstairs. So I walk, and, there, and I find it on the highest platform, and right up on the highest, I shouldn't say platform, but on the highest level... Uh, there's like this cool rain to look over the arcade area and the movie screens, but there's the group and there's another bar and it's always nice. You don't have to keep going up and down the stairs, which is pretty smart. <laughs> um. Yeah, because I imagine if someone's three sheets to the wind trying to go up and down stairs for more alcohol, that's going to end very poorly. Yes, I agree. That could end poorly. <laughs> uh, so I go there and I see Warren and I get my name tag on. And I remember I met up with some students from the grad program at UC Santa Cruz. It's called Games and Playable Media. That was the program I went as a grad student. Mm-hmm. And I was mentoring some young ladies in that program as well as a undergrad. I think one or two of them was up there with some of the guys. I think one of them was Nick. And I think another one, oh, I forgot his name, but he's such a cool dude. He, he had this cool project about using race cars and narrative I feel bad that I don't remember his name. <laughs> uh, I remember faces, though. You'll probably remember it later. I probably will. So I see them. And they've, you know, some of them have tried to network. Some of them aren't, maybe aren't as good at it, or they feel too nervous. Because everyone can talk to each other. But the question is, are you comfortable enough to go talk to a stranger? Especially to network. And that is very difficult, especially if someone's introvert. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's when you just find the other person who looks as awkward and uncomfortable as you are and just go talk to them. Yeah, that was a good way to start. I do have another approach. So, you know, I talked to some of them and I said, watch what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm going to give you networking 101 download. And I bet you I can get 
anyone in here one minute to connect with them on LinkedIn. And I had, oh boy, and it was exciting time. So I had them come over. I said, look, it's like, I'm going to be your wing woman. <laughs> I'm networking just to teach you. Um, I said, watch what I do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of look around. And one of the main things I do look for is kind of what you mentioned before is you, you said like you look for someone that might be nervous as you. Well, that's kind of right. But I really look at body language. So when I approach any networking event or meetup, I look at the body language of people around me in the room to say like, who looks like they'd feel the most comfortable for me to approach them, who doesn't want to be bothered, who doesn't you know, want to be talked or who would love to be talking, who's been drinking a lot. So you got to be careful with that too. Yeah, because that's either really good, like some people can handle it, other people, you will never get out of that conversation. Yes, which I also have a way to get out of that too, which is fun. So I call this networking 101, and I've told people about this. I've done a talk on it as well. A couple of times explained to people, this is how you network, whether you're introvert or not. No matter what, even if you feel very confident enough, everyone feels a little nervous approaching someone. There's just something about that, like, I don't know him or her. How am I going to talk to them? Mm -hmm. So always take take a deep breath, you know, like, (sighs) you know, just get out of your system, get the nerves. And then what I tell people is, You need to act confident if you don't feel like it. And one of the ways you want to start is you roll your shoulders back. So if you roll your shoulders back, automatically your back is straightened up. You feel straighter. And by doing that, you're kind of telling your brain and your whole body, like, I'm confident and I'm ready to go. So already you're trying to manipulate your mind that you're okay to do this. And that's, again, biologic language is very important. Not just for seeing people who you can approach, but also for yourself. Next, you find your target. Maybe I shouldn't say target. You find the person you'd love to network and hang out with. Because, you know, like some of these people I've met uh, through networking events, you become friends. So I have Nick and his buddy from the grad school come with me. And I see this one gentleman. So I looked at Nick and and others. I said, I'm going to connect with him and watch what I do. So I go up and I introduce myself. Just like anyone, we're going to go through networking 101. Whenever you approach someone, which I'm going to approach this gentleman, you want to make eye contact and shake their hand. So you shake their hand and you say, hi, my name is Kelsey. What's your name? And he or she might respond back. Now, everyone knows when you're at a networking event, this is going to happen. So people kind of expect it. That's why they're a little bit more open for you coming up to them versus non-networking events. Mm-hmm. He shakes my hand. He's like, oh, hi, I'm John. Next, after you do that, you, you have to remember in, in America, people are more straightforward about what they do at working. If you're in another country, I would advise just kind of look culturally if that's appropriate. You might have to change it up. But in America, it's okay to ask what you do for a living. So I asked the first question. I said, hey, where do you work? What, what do you do? And he tells me that he's a designer at a company called Other Ocean. You know, and I get very curious. That's the first question he asks. You're going to take something from that conversation, not only the position that he's asking, that he says he's doing, and respond to the next question about it. So, you know, he tells me that, oh, I'm a designer at the Ocean. And I tell him, it's like, oh, that's cool. Because uh, he asked me what I kind of do. And I said, oh, you know, I work on indie games. I help run ball games. And then I asked. So you said you're a designer at the Ocean. Uh, what's your favorite thing about being a designer? Now, this is a key thing to do to ask about the position, in my opinion, because one, by you asking what's your favorite thing about instead of going straight to the question like, hey, do you have job offerings? 
it's one, it's really rude. If you go straight to job offering, people don't always like that. They kind of close down more. But if you kind of ask about the position and more about them, they'll feel more comfortable to talk to you more. And at the same time, you get a little curious. It's, it's less of a, hey, what can you do for me? And more of a, hey, I'm interested in talking to you as a person and a human being instead of a potential way to get employed. Yes. Yes, that is true. Yeah, people want to feel comfortable. So at the same time, I'm going to build up this guy's confidence and comfortable with me while I talk to him. So I ask, uh, you know, what's your favorite position about being a designer at Other Ocean? And he, he tells me a little bit what he does as a designer. He says he's worked on Capcom games, he works on console games, and, you know, it's really exciting. And he really loves it. Uh, he does some level design. Once again, how he answers it, I'm going to pick another little detail he tells me. I'm going to ask him again about it. So if he talks about something specific in design, now I'm going to ask about it. So it's like, oh, you do level design. What do you like about level design? Again, I kind of ask more about details and what he's doing to make him feel more comfortable with me and to make him more friendly. And, you know, it's kind of like have more of a natural conversation. You know, he tells me what he likes about level design. So now you can also a third time, you cannot you can pick the second answer he gives you and ask again about it or you can end it right there so let's say i let's say i ask the third question about what he likes about level design then after he tells me i say this i said you know i start pulling out my cell phone it's a very key moment if you don't have business cards pull out the cell phone and i said you know it's like i love to continue this conversation maybe we can talk a little bit more but i was also curious about something else so now I do have the cell phone out, but I'm not going to show my LinkedIn app because I want to ask the question of, are they hiring? Now you can ask after the two or three questions you ask him or her, you can ask about if you're, if the job that he has or his company that he works at or her, do they have openings? And so I asked, you know, I said, hey, is, is Other Ocean looking for anything particular? Like, are there any job offers? And of course, John asks me, he's like, so he's like, well, what kind of positions are you looking at? I said, well, I do. I said, I do production. So, you know, any producing work I can design as well. Levels, puzzles, narrative, anything in there would be really good. I said, technically QA as well, if I really need to. So he thinks and he says, you know, he's like, we actually do have an associate producer opening at Other Ocean. He's, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if I pass on the, your name to the person that's hiring. He said, I'm like, oh, that's, that'd be great. He's like, awesome. He's like, let me go ahead and uh, you, you, he's like, you send me your resume cover letter, what you need, and I'll pass it over. I said, perfect. Now that I have this, I kind of have the hook now. Mm -hmm. Once again, I have myself in my head. And I tell him, I like, I love to continue this conversation, but I need to go do something else real fast. Uh, can we connect on LinkedIn? This is very vital. So when you ask about if you can connect on LinkedIn uh, or you want to connect, you pull out your phone with the app LinkedIn ready or you take out your business card. I recommend LinkedIn a little bit more because one, you don't have to spend money on business cards. Two, you're more likely to get people connected because they will search their name and connect with you. And they normally will have the app on their phone and they can connect back very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's my recommendation if you don't have business cards. And it's really easy to lose business cards. Oh, yeah, it can be. You can get pricey too if you are in a rush. Yeah, there's also the added benefit of they kind of have to connect you with you right then. They can't be like, oh, yeah, sure. And then just kind of stick your business card in their pocket and then throw it away when you're not looking. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, we connect. And I look over at Nick and his friend in grad school. And I kind of like, you know, 
like wink at them a little bit or I, I do something like smile just to show them I nod. And they're impressed because I literally took this whole conversation in one minute. I got connected with a potential work for hire now I'm thinking, and, you know, and I do that this whole networking thing one on one. So they break it down for those who are like, okay, it's a little too long. Like, what's the whole outline of this? All right, so here's the outline for those that want to network a little bit better, whether you're introvert or extrovert or maybe in between. I guarantee this will 99% work. Not on everyone, because some people don't want to connect, but a majority of people will after you do this. Step one, you know, take, take a deep breath, roll your shoulders back, get that confident buildup in your body. Step two, approach the person, make eye contact and shake their hand, introducing yourself, and they'll introduce themselves back. Step two, ask the question on what they do at work. In America, different cultures or different countries, double check if that's appropriate or not. But in America, it normally is. There, see, am I on step three? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired. Uh, sorry. Okay, um, it is Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Step three. You're going to take what he answered from the first question about what he does and then ask us a question about the position. Like, like what is your favorite thing about so-and-so position? Step four, you're going to take the answer you, he gets about why he likes the position and you're going to ask one little detail from his answer. And then step five is optional. You can ask, again, the same process. Whatever he answered, what he liked about his position, you can make a new question based on the detail he gives you. Or you can go straight to step six is now you can ask if they're hiring. So you don't have to do step six. That also could be optional because if you have a job already and you don't want to look for work, that's fine. But for those that are, now is appropriate to ask if they're hiring at his or her work. Yeah. And then step seven is the closing deal. You want to go ahead and take out your phone or you want to take out a business card, you know, either get them on LinkedIn or get their or trade business cards with them. And if you are using business cards, say this, like, this is what I recommend to just say, hey, can we trade cards real fast? And just bring out your card. Instead of saying like, let me give you my business card. You can say business card or you can say, let's trade cards. It kind of sounds cooler in my opinion. And I, I've used that tactic. Mm-hmm. Or you can get them on LinkedIn. Plus with trading cards now, you have their contact information. Yes, that's true. And then step eight is very, very good one. You want to end with a handshake you want so with john after you know we linked in and everything i shook his hand and i said thank you john you know i look forward to seeing you again and you walk away and that's really important because i've been taught in high school and even from my dad and stuff it's like a handshake is very important and when people shake your hand especially a woman you know if a woman comes and shakes like a man's hand just squeeze a little harder if you're if you're the woman because you're because one a handshake shows strength and it shows type of confidence and they kind of know who is the type of person I'm talking to. And for me, I don't want people to undermine me. Like, like, you know, it's like if I'm not as big as them or tall as them and they think like, oh, this little person or like, oh, you know, it's like, she's so fragile. No, I'm not fragile. So I make sure <laughs> I squeeze the hand a little bit tighter just to prove to them like I can hold myself up by myself. Thank you. I don't need help. And just that little confident boost. Yeah. It makes you feel kind of good, too. So that's my one-on-one networking. Plus, it might catch them off guard if they were trying to sort of do that to you. Because, like, I know some people do just sort of a power move, but just sort of do it back. Show them that you think you're big and bad. Well, I'm big and bad, too. And I'm wearing heels. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, you have to do that a lot. And you don't want to hurt their hand, right? But just give it, like, a firm grip and 
and you'll be fine. And I've had to do that in some talks with some students when I would, uh, like when I mentor or I talk to other students or people that aren't really good at networking, I try out their handshake purposely. And I'll tell them, I said, you guys squeeze harder. I said, oh, or you're fine. You know, it's like, oh, that's too painful. Um, <laughs> so I, I do kind of help people out on handshakes if they need it, because it, like in America, it's a really big thing. If you're dealing with someone maybe in certain Asian countries, sometimes it's more appropriate not to shake a hand. Maybe it's a little bit of bow. And so when I talk with international students, I do say it's okay if you want to bow and handshake a little bit at the same time, do like a little bow with the handshake. I think that that's a cool way to mingle both cultures. And I've seen people do that, which is, I think, totally fine. Whatever person feels comfortable enough. Yeah. Whatever works for you, I say, do it. But networking 101, that little, those little step eight, like those eight steps, you are 99% guaranteed to get it networked with someone, even if you don't know him or her. No matter what position they're in, they're more likely to connect with you because they feel more comfortable with you. Because you actually asked about what who they are more and what they actually love about it. Not treat them like they're some type of transaction for a job. I, I hate when people do that. I was once in a networking thing, and we I was talking to this guy, and he kept asking me quite. Like, he kept just sort of grilling me with these questions, and he finally said, "I'm trying to see what you can do for me." And I'm like, "Okay, I I, I just." wasn't sure how to respond to that because I was just like I was answering all the questions it's like I was trying to see what you can do for me I'm just not a huge fan of having it be entirely that approach yeah sometimes people can drill in too much um, but you want to make it comfortable and natural and and not you know it's hard Uh, I I think for me I've uh you can ask my family they always say like yeah she talks a lot (laughs) but (laughs) it definitely helped me in the long run I actually went through speech therapy as a kid because I couldn't talk for a while. Like I couldn't talk up until four years old properly. I was still talking like a baby. Hmm. And I, um, yeah. And I remember I went through speech therapy from before preschool all the way up to third grade in my life because I couldn't talk appropriately. And, you know, I had stutter problems. So you might even hear me. I might, like, I hope I'm not stuttering too much. But um, not that I've noticed. Oh, that's good. Uh, so people that don't know what speech therapy is, it's pretty much a doctor or, you know, who studies speech, she or he uh, teaches you how to move your mouth and make your sounds appropriate so you can speak the language that you need to talk, mm-hmm. right? So like I'm, I'm an English speaker and I need to, you know, make sure I can talk to people in English well, but I need to make sure I can say it <laughs> right and not stutter or not say something weird. I remember like, oh, like they would like TH. I couldn't say that thought really, really good because it was really hard. And sometimes there are some words I couldn't say that it would frustrate me because I couldn't say them out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why people do stutter is I found out years later is when people stutter, it's because they're thinking what to say comes a lot faster in mind before their words can be produced. And that's why people stutter. Yeah. And sometimes when I get extremely excited about stuff and people see it on stream, like I might start stuttering a little bit or when I'm with my friends, I get super excited. I'll start like thinking too fast and my words can't keep up. So I have to even now because, you know, I'm excited to be on this podcast. You know, I, I'm enjoying to talk with you. I have to keep relaxing myself and make sure I don't stutter. And, you know, it can get a little hard every once in a while, but but normally not. And another thing people have told me is they picked up how I say words is I was taught how to accentuate certain syllables 
like teas, right? I might say rotten or because I might say like the two teas more or pattern. And you can hear that more that people that have been through speech therapy do enunciate a little bit more on their letters and certain syllables because they want to make sure they're saying the word correctly. And you'll hear me do that too. And, and someone told me that recently who is a speech pathologist. And I was all like, really? And she's like, yeah. She's like, that's why you talk like that. You know, that's why you're enunciating a lot of stuff because that's how you were taught in speech. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And then fun fact, my sister is actually learning to be a speech pathologist oh, or, you know, a speech therapist. Cool. Yeah, I thought that was so neat. I'm like, oh my gosh, Rachel. <laughs> I'm so proud of her. Uh, and now that you mentioned that, I did kind of notice that. I just didn't think anything of it. I was like, mm, different people pronounce things differently. Not everyone is like me and is very Southern and likes to slur their words together. And I have to consciously think sometimes to slow down when I talk. Because when I get excited, yeah. it comes out really fast. <laughs> Yeah, that'll happen, right? I, I mean, from Bakersfield, people consider, I, like I did bring up, it is a little definitely more conservative than California. Um, there's a little country in there. I, uh, you know, I'll say y'all. I grew up saying uh, TV changer. And, okay, I thought this was a, like a legit thing. And then I remember when I got older, people were saying like, why are you saying TV changer? It's a remote control. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? What was the difference? And I think people forget that wherever you live, there's always going to be some type of colloquialism. You know, there's some type of slang words or phrases that you pick up in your hometown where you're living. And so when I'm in the Bay Area, you know, even here, um, I don't say certain phrases because people might understand or, or even better. I don't want people to think I'm stupid or uneducated. And that's kind of sad to say. So when I'm normally up in the Bay Area, I do watch myself to say certain phrases because I don't want people to think like, uh, is she okay? Or like, what is she talking about? Unfortunately, but that happens. And then you kind of learn the new colloquialism in the area that you're living. It's always interesting. I get that because I grew up in East Tennessee. So if it's carbonated mm -hmm. and it is like, if it is a carbonated beverage, it's Coke. But when I went to college, I started calling it soda. Oh, interesting. Depending on, like, if I'm at home, then it's still, it's Coke. Well, also, because we usually only really have Coke Zero at the house. But when I'm <laughs> around other people and, like, different friends and stuff, I'll say soda. And I yeah. didn't notice I'd started doing that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when people, like, you know, they don't realize what they're saying because to them it's normal. Like, whenever you talk, how you talk is how you grow up. You know, you're going to keep some of that with you forever. But, yeah. You know, you have to say soda when you're at college. Yeah. I, I didn't even do it intentionally. I don't even know when I started doing that. But another thing I noticed is, like, there's a lot of Southernisms that I know. And so, like, um, I've been listening to this podcast, King Falls I Am, and, a char and one of the characters said something about more nervous than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I'm like, that's an actual Southernism. And I'm like, I know that one. I got really excited for a second. I like that. I might have to, like, I want to kind of say that now. That's kind of cool. There, there's <laughs> a lot of really fun Southernisms that people don't even know. Also, um, yeah. another good question to ask for networking that I've heard is when you go up to someone is asking them what brought you here. Because they could be there for any oh, number of reasons. Yeah. They could be they're new to the industry. They could be there with friends or 
from different companies and it's just kind of a good way to sort of like get your foot in the door conversation wise and then you can go into sort of what they do and so on and so forth. It's just another approach. That's a pretty good question. I've never had someone ask me that and I've never asked someone that question, but I, you know, that is a pretty good question. I, I would definitely agree with that one. You know, what brings you here? Yeah. Not going to lie. I stole that one from Mark Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally okay. You know, I, I think the saying goes is like, why fix something when it's already fixed? Yeah. But you know, I, I don't know if that's the whole phrase, but it's something it, like that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a good one. So I'm curious, what are some of the things you're working on now? Uh, currently at Other Ocean? Or just in general? Or things that you've worked on recently, both professionally and maybe on the side? Hmm. All right. Yeah, I could definitely answer that question. Did you want me to continue how I got into Other Ocean? Oh, yeah. Or do you want me to just start? Actually, yeah. yeah, I would like to hear the rest of that story and then we can sort of look at what things you're working on now. Yeah. Okay. So... I get connected with John from Other Ocean. You know, I show the grad students what it's all about. And, you know, I kind of go talking and networking with people um, same way as I do with everyone. And then um, the, to the next day, you know, I'm pretty tired. But I'm like, you know, it's like I, I'm going to hit up this this guy, John. I'm really going to make sure I'm going to send him my resume and cover letter. So I, I kind of ask him about the position on LinkedIn. And he kind of sends me a link. And he tells me, he's like, hey, he's like, give me your resume and cover letter ASAP. So I can send it in to the person that's hiring. And so I look over the position and it's called Associate Producer Art. Now, so I get a little uh, wary on this because one, I did not go to art school. I got my major in science <laughs> degree where I'm more of a coder and a designer, but not art. Can I make art? Sure, I can make pretty stick figures if I need to. I can maybe <laughs> make uh, interesting drawings if I really had to, right? It would just take me hours Same. upon hours while someone... Yeah. Someone who can like, like I can really, if I really had to draw, it'd take me hours upon hours, but people that are trained in it, it would take them a few minutes compared to what I draw. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, anyways. So I get a little worried about that because I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't really do art too much, right? I don't really create art, but I know how to talk to artists. Mm -hmm. From what I've been taught at school, I understand that if I need to communicate with an artist, I have to give them dimensions. I guess one example that one of my art teachers had told me is if you're talking to an artist and you say, I want a tree and that's all you send them, then don't be mad if they give you something that's not what you like because you never explained what kind of tree. How tall is the tree? What is the XYZ coordinates of, you know, what's the dimensions of it? What color of the tree would you like? I kind of knew the basics on how to talk to artists. And I'm like, okay, so I look over the requirements. I'm like, okay, I, I can nail some of this. Or like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, working with maybe external teams and stuff. And so I send in my resume, you know, you kind of beef it up. And a good thing that people should note is you might have like a few different type of resumes. You'll have your resume for design. You'll have your resume for production. You'll have your resume for QA. You'll have your resume for as an engineer, right? Depend on whatever, what disciplines you're very strong yeah. in. You're going to go ahead and have different resumes. And then your cover letter is always going to be just a little different, but it should be the same setup. You always introduce yourself. You always make sure you talk about the position that you're very interested in, how, why you like the position, the culture at the company. And then like your main body of the cover letter is going to be the biggest key. Why are you a benefit to the company? And this is really important. Like why should the company hire you is that main paragraph in your cover letter, because you want to show them like, hey, if you hire me, I'm going to bring awesome stuff to your company. I'm going to make your company great if you hire yeah. me, right? And, and it's very difficult 
So I read something somewhere about write your cover letter. Like it's a, more of a common geared towards people who play D and D, but it's like sort of adopt the persona of a high elf, and so it's like you're writing this thing like it's a mm-hmm. formality, like it's a certain thing that you have the job. Yeah, definitely. I, I and I don't mean do that in a way where it's just like, well, of course you're going to hire me, but it's just like. Yes, this is why I am great for this job. Honestly, I hate cover letters. Me I, too. I hate writing them. So much. However, I do know that if, let's say, like, a person is also go, like going for the same job as me or career job as me, and they don't have a cover letter, I have a higher chance than them because, one, I have now made myself a little bit more personal in the cover letter versus someone on, only with a resume. Because a resume shows you and your skills and what you did. Mm-hmm. The cover letter kind of reveals more about your personality and, and how you accomplish with some of your skills. In a one-pager, it should never go past one page. If someone has a resume or a cover letter past one page, redo it. Because I guarantee you have things in there that don't relate to the job description at all. Now, if you're maybe like a, a veteran in the game industry, right? Like over 10 years or more, you know, most likely you still have one resume, but they might be more keen to have a two-pager because at that point, they've done so many projects that could relate that they're allowed to kind of go on two-page. But even then, people prefer one-pagers. So I go ahead and write my cover letter. I got my resume all nice and sharp for me. And I send it off to John. And I wait. You know, it's like, okay. You know, and he tells me that he's going to hand it in. I wait a couple of days. And, you know, I ask back, like, hey, you know, did the hiring person check it out yet? He's like, yeah. He's like, I just gave it to him today. And, you know, I, I kind of wait. And I'm a few more days later, like, oh, I don't know. And uh, so much anxiety. I hate waiting. Yes. <laughs> right. And I'm very tired. I'm so sick of job hunting, but I really want to be in the game industry. I really love making games. I'm like, I'm going to do what I need to. And so then I get it. I get the email. And I believe it was from Norm himself. Norm Badillo, for those that don't know, he is a senior producer at Other Ocean, and we have many producers there, but he also does, he has like 20 plus years of game industry experience, right? He's been a producer, he's been a designer, but he started off as an artist. So I get an email from him and he wants to know if I can come in and do an interview next week, which I felt like, okay, this is pretty close, like not close, but this is pretty fast, you know, to get into an interview, right? Just, hey, bam, come in next week. Is this time okay for you? And I'm like, okay, okay. And I find out where Other Ocean is located. It's in Emeryville, California. And I love I live in the South Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area. And let me tell you, getting up to Emeryville, which is close to Oakland, is a little far away. It's about an hour or so by BART, maybe an hour and a half if you count um, car traveling. So much fun. Road trip. Yeah, I mean, like, my last job was in Oakland. So I'm like, well, I mean, might as well. I, I did it in Oakland. Why not? So I go. And... I get off the BART station, and again, for those who don't know what BART is, it's just our little subway and train that people go around in the Bay Area. In my area, we have DART Dallas area rapid transit, so when you were saying BART, I was like, probably Bay Area rapid transit, I'm guessing. Yeah, everyone has their really cool transit areas. So I get off, and I decide to walk to the place, because to me, I'm like, I don't want to spend money on Uber, I don't know if this Emory go round, which is a free bus ride, goes towards the area. I have no idea. So I just decided to walk there. It's like a good 30-minute walk. And even today, I walk most of the time to work, like after I get off the BART. I don't mind because I get my cardio in. Mm-hmm. So yay. Unless it's raining, I will go on the bus now if it rains. <laughs> Absolutely. Not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I walk to um, other Ocean Studios. It's on this cute street called Doyle Street. Because when I'm walking down in Emeryville, there's a street called 40, I think it's 40th Street or 41st Street. And I don't really feel as comfortable, right? Unfor- you know, unfortunately, you see a lot of homeless people and you feel bad. Or and people like random strangers will come up and talk to me. Like I get catcalled sometimes and I don't like it. So I just kind of ignore them. I just keep walking. But then when I walk down on Doyle Street, it's like a little bit different. And I find out I'm more in Emeryville now. And it's, it's a little bit nicer. Uh, this cute little cafe called Doyle Cafe. Uh, very nice people. And there's little businesses. And I don't know how to describe it. Sometimes when I walk down a little street, it's just so calm and pretty to me that it reminds me like a little town. That's, that's a I mean, I guess Emeryville is a little town. But just how the setup is, it feels like a little town vibe. It's, it's quaint and comforting and kind of homey and less creepy. Yeah, so quaint would be the best way to put it. Uh, so I find the other ocean and I go into the building because there's other businesses in this building, I realized. And, you know, I open the door and I kind of peek my head and I'm like, hello, is anyone here? Because I don't see anyone. I just see like concrete floor. I kind of see a little open space and, and I see someone pop out. And I believe it was Mike. And he's like, oh, he's like, hello. And I said, oh, hi, so my name's Kelsey. I'm here for the job interview. And then out comes out Norm. He's like, hey, Kelsey. He's like, wow, you're right on time, even like early. He's like, I like that. And he's so full of energy, this dude. And, you know, made me feel very comfortable right off the bat, right? It feels very comfortable that this guy was so excited to see me. And I'm like, okay, it's like, I like this feeling, right? I don't feel awkward right now. They give me a little bit tour. I met a couple of their of the employees. One of them was Tom. And I this cracked me up because Tom knows my former teacher, MJ, or Michael John, from the grad program at UC Santa Cruz. Dude, that's cracked me up. I'm like, wow, does MJ like know everyone? I He probably, probably. does. He's been in the industry for decades. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he's a pretty cool dude, MJ. Anyway, so they introduce me and they take me to the other suite. So Other Ocean has two suites in the building. One of them is where, dun, 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 where Medieval was being made the most. And it was mostly in this larger suite. It was definitely huge open space, not a lot of hallways, not a lot of rooms. They had like a little kitchen room and then they had an upstairs loft. They took me there and they brought in a couple of people to help with the interview. They brought in um, the art director, Nick, Nick Broody. Uh, I think people know him most from Earthworm Jim's games. He was like the main artist on there. They brought in someone named Emily Chen. She was one of the main animators on Medieval. I think Bobby was there or or Barbara, but she goes by Bobby. And she was the associate producer on Medieval. And then I feel like Jeff was the executive. I think Jeff was there too to interview me. And he's the executive producer on it. I'm trying to remember. It's been like literally go- going to be a year ago in March. And Norm is there. So, you know, they asked me typical questions, you know, what I do. And I actually, believe it or not, I actually brought in some of my designs for my virtuality game, China Tower, just to kind of show like, hey, it's like, you know, here's some design work that I've done. Just, you know, the paper style of it. So you can check it out. One of the questions I remember Nick asked me was because I mentioned that I, you know, I know Unity and Real. And I said to be honest. You know, I didn't want to lie and say I knew a skill if I didn't know it. So with Unreal, I did tell them, like, like I can work around the engine Unreal, but unfortunately, I never had time to learn the blueprints that well while I was in school because no one was, no one taught us, right? We kind of had to learn on our own. And, you know, it was kind of hard to focus on blueprints when I was there ma- making the levels and acting as the producer on the team. Mm-hmm. So he asked me this question, do you prefer Unity or Unreal when you're developing? 
And it's a it's an interesting question because uh, so I answered it this way. I didn't choose which one I like more. I explained which one I would choose based on what I need the engine for. I said if I was going to choose Unity, I think Unity is a great way to to make a game quickly. It has all the prefabs for you. Even if you can't code, it's still friendly enough for those that don't know how to make a game or understand coding can still make a game and make some cool things. Mm-hmm. However. If I was going to use Unreal, Unreal, I believe, in my opinion, definitely has the better graphics. It can be a little bit tricky if you don't know Blueprints. And Blueprints are, I think I explained it before, but I don't remember. Uh, Blueprints is pretty much, you have these boxes and you use logic to kind of attach a string to each one to make actions. And you can code Blueprints. It is C++, but it's just a little different with C++ in it. Mm-hmm. And I said that, you know, visually, someone that also doesn't code can pick up that logic too if they want, but it's not as friendly. There's not enough tutorials or um, explanation with Unreal for beginners. So if you're a beginner, Unity should be a choice. If you're someone that's more comfortable and wants better graphics and even more professionalized, you might want to use Unreal because more studios are using Unreal as a professional engine instead of making their own. Mm-hmm. I like the answer. <laughs> I do remember Norm one time said an interview because I said like, you know, if there, uh, he asked about some production uh, with the team I worked on in grad school and we were called Dizzy Slugs because of the, <laughs> we were VR. And yeah, the, the slugs is because we're banana slugs for UC Santa Cruz and you're dizzy because you're wearing a VR headset. And I actually made the little symbol Dizzy Slugs. I was very proud of myself for that one. That's adorable. I love it. You just have this little Oculus thing on the slug's head, and then you see like the dizzy stars on its around its head. It was funny. <laughs> I explained to him how like if I, you know, if we can't finish a task, I just kind of tell them. Or if it's like a stretch goal, I said let's put it in the backlog for now. And Norm was like so happy when I said that. He's like, look, he's like, she said backlog. I really like that because I guess for some producers, you know, you have to decide like which is the most important task, right? If you're a producer, you're normally leading that specific group or project on it and you gotta make some tough decisions sometimes you gotta put your tasks in a backlog which is more like we're gonna come back to this right we're not gonna take it off the table we're not gonna delete it but if we have time let's go back to this and check it out which is what the backlog mm-hmm. is so I get this whole the interview process and all of them ask me questions you know and i you know they always ask if i have questions back and you should always have a question or two held up so you can talk to them about it. Like you should always ask them a question. If you don't have any questions at all, that's not always going to look good on you from what people have told me and from experience. But I always made sure I had questions because I, I paid attention in school when they did that. I always do too, but I have a bad habit of getting the questions in before they ask if I have any questions. So the best question I would ask, if anyone has no idea what to ask, especially after the job interview is about to be over and you have no idea what to ask, always ask this one. It's like, hey, you know, I'm really curious about the culture at the company. How would you describe what the culture is? And which is kind of good because at the same time, they might be interviewing you, but you in a way are interviewing them. Yeah. Like, sure, it company seems good, but if you find something that doesn't really align with you and you really feel uncomfortable, you might not want to work at the company. Now, if you're someone that's trying to break into the industry, unfortunately, you might have to just take positions you don't like at the beginning. Like I had to do, I had to be an HR recruiter assistant, no, assistant recruiter HR. I forgot the title. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't want to do that job, right? That's not what I was trained and went to school for, but I had to get my foot in the door. So if you're entry level, unfortunately, I would recommend just take the first job, you know, be there for at least nine months to a year. And then start looking for another job, especially if it's not the career path you want. 
Now, if you're someone that's more veteran in the industry and has been in it for a few years, uh, you don't have to really do that approach unless you're desperately looking for a job. Uh, I would say it's okay if you don't want to work at a company, if you feel like they don't align with what your beliefs are, or most of the, if they don't align with most of it. So, you know, I asked that question too. And I think I asked something else. Norm showed me about this cool little mobile game, one of the projects he was working on, you know, and I kind of checked it out. I think they showed me a little bit of medieval, which is kind of funny because I, uh, unfortunately, have never played medieval when I was a kid. And but I heard about it, right? I've always heard about medieval. I remember there was a skeleton person you play with. And I'm like, well, okay, these people are making the remake of it. So, so I, I do see that. And then after that, I, you know, I shake hands with Norm and I say like, you know, I look forward to hearing back from you. And, you know, I, I leave. Stay tuned to next week for the third and final installment of Zero to Game Dev. An incomplete guide to world domination is directed and produced by Brianna Toybert as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. Music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. You can find more of his work at chesterstudios.net. If you would like to help support our show, you can find us at patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it. For more information on the other shows produced by Pseudonym Social, please check out our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com.